0: of June 5th, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox Episode 585, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And outside Buckingham Palace, I'm Michael Giltz. Cheers, Sperling. Are you meeting with Paddington Bear? Because I hear he was just there. I hear Paddington We're Bear having marmalade sandwiches even as I speak. Okay, well, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, Paddington Bear was there. I don't think that James Bond met with the, the, the queen this time and jumped out of a helicopter like he did in 2012 for the Olympics.
1: I could make a joke, but it would spoil the new movie, and I won't. What movie is that? The new... The new James Bond film. If anybody Uh, hasn't seen it yet, we don't want to spoil the finale. Anyway, um, I am in the UK, of course, for the Jubilee celebrations. The party at the palace happened over the weekend. The Queen had an adorable video with Paddington Bear. All the world loved it and saw it. Uh, It was the most watched show in the UK so far in 2022. The Saturday night concert that was also aired on ABC in the United States was the single most watched show, I guess. Soccer hasn't gone into full gear yet, but that's very exciting. So was I was going to say the world
0: the World Cup is in September, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's right.
1: Well, as mo- people watch stuff other than the World Cup. Uh, weekly, epi- weekly, you know, football games in the U.S. score, but of course, much bigger country. But a big, exciting weekend for the country, though not for Boris Johnson, who faces a vote of confidence tonight, Monday night. We're recording well, on he's, Monday. While well, he's
0: doing, yeah, he's re- he's actually Monday, going through it right now, right? June sixth. Well, just about
1: yes, you're right. You're quite right. It's not over yet because I haven't seen any any headlines. But yes, it should be happening even as we speak. And there are two fun facts about today. One, under California
0: law, our podcast is a fish. Number two. (laughs) No? No, I don't hear that. I I don't know what I'm like, I'm like, what what is this supposed to be? California
1: reclassified bees as fish for certain Rights and protections under state law, and how they define game and wildlife. So people were having fun with the idea that bees were now technically classified as fish in California. Okay. I guess you missed that one. So uh, over the head.
0: Uh, number uh, yeah. two, though, you, you would almost imp- say it. Uh, I was drowned in that joke.
1: Hey, yeah, number it's a fish number joke. two, <laughs> number two. You will get today is the anniversary. June sixth is the anniversary in nineteen thirty three of the first patented official opening of a drive-in in North America. June 6, 1933 in Camden, New Jersey. That's according to Garrison Keillor's newsletter, The Writer's Almanac, and a Wikipedia entry. Uh, they opened up, uh, they came up with little ramps so the cars could see. They were trying to work on the music. It wasn't great so at the beginning, but they charged 25 cents per car. And then when they saw all these people jammed into the car, they said, hold on, 25 cents a person, but a maximum of a dollar per car. And there were earlier drive-ins, sort of drive-ins, one in New Mexico in 1915, another in Comanche, Texas in 1921. This was the first one to be patented. He did it the way we know drive-ins to be done today. So very interesting for the exhibitors who listen to our show. Happy anniversary.
0: And what else happened on June 6th? Um, My family left for for Florida from Bermuda. Okay. Well, uh, and you know, maybe you did that on a boat, which is how most of the Allied... Uh, you know where I'm in with June 6th, 1944, the allies land in Normandy. That's that's right. Well done. Well done. That was breaking news
1: in 1944. What is the breaking news today?
0: Well, this week on showbiz sandbox, we feel the need, the need for speed because yes, Top Gun Maverick is still flying high at the box office and it's inspiring us to approach Mach 10 and give you this podcast with all the info you need and the fun you want, but we're going to do it faster because we're going to be Mach 10. Yeah, well, yes. yeah, well, the war in Ukraine. By the way, speaking of wars, that that marches on, and that prompted Rolling Stone to do a piece on all the pop stars who've paid millions over the years. They've been ben paid, paid been yeah. paid millions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they've been paid, of course, to perform at private parties and events for Russian oligarchs. Surprisingly, get this, Michael, you might be surprised by this. Most of them, most of these, you know, musical stars, these these pop stars and musicians, they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't really. They were kind of like, you know, maybe. Huh. Maybe let's uh, change the subject on Inside Baseball. We're looking at politics and social justice issues because every entertainment business must do the same, whether it's Grammy winner Louis C.K., director Kerry Fukunaga, or, yes, the courtroom battle between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Many businesses must grapple with the fallout from taking a side or trying not to take a side. Don't worry, we'll take a side. I'm going to be on the left hand side. And it won't be the same
1: side, though. We'll take different sides. Yeah, we always do. (laughs)
0: And then we swap like a duet. You know, now you take the, the, you know, the treble clef and I'll take the bit. Yeah, of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in at last week's box office.
1: That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world for the week ending June 5th. We cover all seven days of box office since the last time we spoke to you. Why? Because people go to the movies seven days a week and they all went to see Top Gun Maverick. Another week on top. Last week, it made $280 million from about Thursday through Sunday. This week, all seven days, it made $270 million. Technically, just a 3% drop from one week earlier. And when you look down at each territory around the world, it had a great hold, partially because there aren't a ton of movies opened up, though, of course, Jurassic Park Dominion is hitting the charts, but also because people are really liking the movie. So it had a great hold in North America, had the best hold ever. For a movie opening really big, it opened at $100 million or more, and it only dropped 33% in its second weekend. That is a great hold. This movie has made $550 million worldwide. It could become, it should become, it might become, depending on how hard it gets hit by Jurassic World Dominion. Tom Cruise's first billion-dollar movie, not adjusted for inflation. And that's pretty cool, this many decades into a very successful career. Very interesting stuff going on there. More to talk about Top Gun, but first, let's get through the rest of the movies. At number two around the world is Jurassic World Dominion. $56 million on its opening week in a number of territories. But I noticed that one place says it cost $165 million to make. To which I say, really? the third in the series or the fourth in this latest reboot, plus all the people from the past, re- you know, original series coming on board for this one. And that's the one where we kept the budget down to 165 million. I don't think so.
0: Yeah. And Thoughts? where did Jurassic World Dominion open?
1: I'll have to. It opened in like in Korea. It opened in, I believe, Brazil. It opened in a oh, number yeah. of territories. Okay. Brazil, yes, Italy, Mexico.
0: Open-
1: yeah. Yeah. It started to open up around the world. Hey, it's not all about North America, Sperling. This is the worldwide box office. And He's in the
0: figure out where
1: multiverse, the biggest movie is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It made another $40 million, and it passed the $900 million mark. This one looks like it could get to a billion dollars. The Bad Guys is doing great. That's the DreamWorks animated film, $20 million this week. It's at about $220 million, and Korea has a big, big hit on its hands. The Roundup, that's an action film sequel with Don Lee, that made $18 million this week. It's at $73 million total, and it held off Jurassic World Dominion in Korea to maintain its place at the top of the charts. So it had a big opening, it had a big second week, and it held off Jurassic World Dominion. So that is a big movie with legs. Bob's Burger, the movie, that made another $11 million. I don't know the budget for that. I'm assuming it's modest, more modest than the Simpsons movie. It's at $24 million worldwide. China has a new movie out. The Chinese box has been very quiet because a lot of the country has been shut down. But a romantic drama about high school sweethearts or a girl who had a crush on a boy and they meet again in college. It's called My Blue Summer and it opened up to $8 million. Uh, that's you know pretty good news for the Chinese box office. Over the last four weeks, it's been at $15 million total for the top 10. $15 million again, total for the top 10. $11 million total for the top 10 movies in China. That tells you how few movies were opening and how few people were getting to the movies, and of course, how few theaters were actually open. This week, with this new movie, the top 10 hit $27 million. Still a paltry sum, but at least the lights are on.
0: Well, you know, the- uh, do you think that Top Gun Maverick will be released in inch? Oh, we're
1: going to get there now? Okay. Oh, okay. You cool. well, maybe we can talk this- about that later. Yeah. You tell yeah, me. Well, yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog made $8 million, then lots of movies. An Indian film, F3, made another $7 million. Downton Abbey, a new era, made $7 million. It's at $77 million worldwide, but it's. It looks like it's falling fast, and I think it's in all the key territories so far. I this movie is going to get maybe to 100 million. It's going to make half of what the original made. However, it only probably cost 25 to 30 million dollars. I don't know the budget, but I'm guessing maybe 30 million dollars. So it has tripled its budget. There is room for a sequel if they want to do it. And frankly, I thought it was better than the first movie, but well off the first film. But we know why, of course. Fantastic Beast passed the $400 million mark. And of course, now it's available on HBO Max, which means pirated copies are available all over the world. That brings us to everything, everywhere, all at once. The Michelle Yao phenomenon, another $6 million worldwide. It's at $78 million. The last I saw it had only opened so far in 18 territories. However, it's already being wheeled out onto you know, digital on demand for about $20, 25 starting tomorrow, June 7th. It's still in the top 10 in North America. It made $2 million this week. Sperling, what's going on? Why aren't they letting this movie play out?
0: Well, I mean, it's an independent movie that was... Uh financed by and picked up by A24 and only in North America. So it owns the rights for North America. They have certain deals in place right now. They're called output deals. So they actually get money from them in advance and they could go to the bank and say, hey, banker, lend me some money because I'm going to make a movie. And then of course, Lionsgate will release it on home video or whoever it is, will release it on a home video. So they actually- They're not tied to other territories. Will that change in the future? Probably. It's probably going to change. And that's why you'll start seeing movies come out all at once around the world, because that way you won't have territories tied to, you know, one territory tied to another. Certainly, uh, it's come out in Japan already. It's uh, because I'm just, oh, actually, no, there is no data for Japan. Uh, And it won't come out, and
1: it hasn't come out in China, obviously, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to... uh, No, because
1: it had some content that they objected to, I think, and so it became tricky.
0: Yeah, uh, and and so most of the dates uh, around the world were in the March and April timeframe, and what they're doing now is they're saying, look, we're not even releasing it for... You know, most for, of the world. For, yeah, and we're not releasing it for rental. You still have to pay twenty twenty five dollars to rent it, but uh, that's still early. Well, four weeks.
1: Four weeks from now, will be available on DVD and Blu Ray as well. Correct. And I still feel like this movie should have played all over the world. I know these are difficult times, but it's a shame it did so well here. She's an international star. China was out of the out of the loop, I guess, but it's just a shame that it couldn't play bigger and better everywhere. It did cost, you know, twenty five million dollars to make, so it's only just tripled its budget. As much as we talk about it being a word of mouth hit and great, look how well it's doing, it's only just become profitable this week. So, it's well, a shame. And,
0: and I guess the question is profitable for who? Because for instance, it might have cost twenty five million to make, but a twenty four may have picked it up for, and I'm. I'm just making numbers up here, $15 million because they were only going to take North America. And you know what? They actually made money because it made $60 million domestically. they look at it and go, hey, we made money on this.
1: Everybody's made money on this movie. It's probably no territory where they picked it up and lost money. Based on you know its budget and what they probably paid, so it's a winner for everyone. It just could have been a much bigger winner. Oh well, a few other movies to talk about. One is an Indian historical epic, Samrat Prithviraj. This is based on a Hindu king. Uh, I was going to pillory the movie for being a favorite of the BJP party and its perhaps nationalistic ugly overtones. However, it ain't easy making a movie in India. Turns out. Everybody was complaining about this film, plus it got terrible reviews, but some people sued the movie before it came out saying, hey, you're showing – we're talking about a historical figure from 2,300 years ago. No, 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 that's the Chinese character. A historical figure from many, many centuries ago, and – People were suing, saying, this movie is going to show him as being from this cast, but he's not. He's from that cast. And how dare they? And you have to stop the movie. And they had to come to the judge and explain we're presenting the king as not being from any cast. And so like, you can get sued for, you know, if you said someone was French and they were German, people could sue you and try and stop your movie in court when it comes to India. So uh, not, not an easy time there, but a big budget, $39 million, and only opened to $4 million. So not great. And then there's Vikram. This is very confusing. It's an Indian film about a cop investigating serial killings. It made uh, like decent money in the U.S., and it seems to have opened bigger in the U.S. than in India. Is that possible?
0: Does that even make sense? And Uh, if so,
1: explain it to us. Tell us, people. Call us.
0: Reach out. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Or you can follow us on... Twitter, where our handle is at Showbiz Sandbox, or you can like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/showbizsandbox. In fact, uh, I'd like to thank Assad Butt who sent us uh, something via via Twitter. Uh, it was about Top Gun, in fact.
1: That's right. He sent us a a link to a Twitter thread talking about the original Top Gun and pointing out how that movie was a big boost to Navy recruiting, so much so that it was, you know, 1987, the height of the Reagan era. And they actually, the movie was so popular, they put recruiting booths at movie theaters. You'd come out of the movie going, yeah, I want to fly jets. And they're like, sign right here in the dotted line. And they claim they got a big boost from recruitment. And this Twitter thread says, hey, maybe it'll happen again. Keep an eye on Navy recruitment. So that'll be interesting to check out. Another bit of a news story about Top Gun was patting the filmmakers and Tom Cruise on the back. There was a story that we covered about patches on Maverick's jacket. And in an early trailer or footage or photo or something, you could see patches for Taiwan and I think maybe Japan. And they were blurred out now. And people said, ah, they're caving to censorship from China. You know, China would not play your movie if you have a, a symbol of Taiwan as an independent country displayed in your film in any way, shape, or form. And that was blurred out on that early footage, whatever it was, and people said, oh, China again. But now it turns out in the Prince playing in Taiwan that the patch is back, and the audiences burst into applause when they saw it. They were thrilled, of course, to see their country being recognized. And I'm not sure, I haven't heard anything, but if you know, let us know whether the the patch for Japan is now being displayed properly. But the question is, did they, you know, say to heck with you, China, we're not going to allow you to censor us. What's going on here, Sperling?
0: I have no idea. Uh, I I know that uh, I, I, my my gut tells me that they're looking at, China and going, we're never going to be released in China. So <laughs> right. what so does, what it, does matter? it matter? We, Fenda? <laughs> However, it's
1: possible China could say one year from now in July of 2023, oh, nice Mission Impossible movie you got there. Yeah, we're not showing it. So it's not a step without repercussions down the road. So they did make this step. They only did it in the territory of Taiwan, but that may not be enough to keep China happy. So they did expose themselves to some financial issues. Down the road, we'll have to see what happens. Another thing about Top Gun, the movie makers are being sued. I think it's Paramount is being sued. The movie originally was based on an article in California Magazine about Top Guns. That was turned into the original movie. The heirs to the author of that article, who has since died, they reclaimed the copyright. They filed suit in 2018 and reclaimed the copyright in 2020. The movie, of course, was supposed to come out in May of 2020, but of course it didn't, which may mean since, but I think even if you begin making a movie, you can still claim your right to make a sequel as long as you're actively developing it. But I'm no lawyer, of course. Nonetheless, the family says, hey, that movie wasn't done till May of 2021. So you have no right to show that and we're going to get a lot of money and it will probably go to court or be settled way out beforehand, right?
0: Yeah, I don't think that uh, I look, I'm not a, a copyright and intellectual property attorney, but boy, I mean, if you, if you didn't know this movie was happening. Uh, well, they
1: did. And that's why they reclaimed the copyright. They have perhaps been reaching out to them. We they didn't just sit around. It's not like a story we'll get to later where it's 35 years after the fact. In 2018, they reclaimed they filed suit to reclaim the copyright and reclaimed it in 2020 which is when they could do it. So clearly they knew the sequel was finally happening. No, no. I, I clearly, mean, if you're,
0: if you're an uh, IP attorney at Paramount, you would know, well, yes, hey, we have to renew you know, this. Param-
1: well, they don't. Well, Paramount's saying we, uh, we have the right to this. It's without merit. We were already actively developing the sequel. They know that. So this is meritless. And we'll find out if anybody has any standing in court. Uh, one more fun thing about China One reason there was a big bump up in the box office, we like to recognize the festivals and holidays and things going all over the world. In North America, if it's Memorial Day or Labor Day weekend, that has a big bump at the box office. In China, it was Dragon Boat Festival weekend or the Fifth Fifth Festival. It's a a holiday that takes place on the fifth day of the fifth month in their calendar. In this case, it's uh, around this time. And it's a festival for warding off bad luck. Because the fifth month and the fifth day of the fifth month in particular are really bad for like poisonous creatures, disease, and all that sort of stuff. So people do all these things historically to try and ward off bad luck. And they've remade it in recent years. You can read about it in our show notes. But interesting to know all the origins of these festivals and what they mean in the countries and how they can give a little goose to the box office.
0: Well, but apparently, there's probably no I'm, box I'm, office And you. Mm-hmm. I'm looking here. Uh, it looks like Shanghai, certain neighborhoods went back into lockdown a day after they reopened. Oh, geez.
1: Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare Sperling the, uh, the difficulty of having to be quiet while I, while I pillory Cinemark over releasing the movie 2,000 Mules. So we'll just skip over that and spare what, what, Sperling his- What's wrong with 2,000 Mules? Well, that's the latest you know, BS propaganda by Dinesh D'Souza claiming election fraud with absolutely no evidence. And if oh. I explained to you what, what their argument in the film was, you'd go, really? That's it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absurd, and, but I will give credit to him for this. The movie cost about $1.5 million to make, according to the New York Times, and maybe $3 million to market. Now, it's made $1.4 million. You know, for a documentary, we get used to big numbers now. The old days, that, was a, that would be a top 100 of all-time hit. So, that's for a movie that costs that little, and you wanted to get the word out in f- terms of your propaganda effort… That's pretty good return on your money. The guy has an audience. Let's let's give him that. But it was mostly shown only by Cinemark because its CEO Leroy Mitchell loves Trump, loves the Koch family, donates all sorts of money to stuff, and uh, is just a bad actor when it comes to politics. As far as I'm concerned, so you know, I'd be interested to know whether
0: your- that was mm-hmm. a, a you know whether that was a four wall kind of the way Netflix does it. But if if you're reporting grosses, it may not be. Uh, it's not he. He was happy to show it. No, oh, okay. He didn't, ha- didn't have to buy his
1: theater. He loves this <laughs> anyway. So, a war of words in North America to the actual war in Ukraine, right?
0: Uh yeah. Um, I guess what we're going to talk about is and this always happens whenever there is, you know, the the Saudi prince does. So, and then there's all the people who went to to Saudi Arabia to to do certain things to party with him. Yeah. Rolling Stone had a, had a piece detailing all the pop stars who've made millions doing private parties and weddings and events for major Russian oligarchs and Russian energy companies and Russian bigwigs. The biggest names were Christina Aguilera, Deep Purple, Sting, Jennifer Lopez, Guns N' Roses, Elton John. Black Eyed Peas, The Killers, Prince, Robbie Williams, and many others. Yeah, I mean, it, that's just a partial
1: list. A lot of people do this. And of course, most wouldn't comment for this article. Sting released a public statement saying those days are over. He's, uh, and uh, Tommy Stinson, who was in the replacements and then uh, played in bass in G&R, Guns N' Roses, said, you know what? Playing for oligarchs and rich people is just effing gross. He didn't actually say effing. Uh, he said, that's the only way I could put that. He's like, what the hell were we doing? And to which I'd say, you know, sting, I'm glad your days are over, but you're playing for like Russian oligarchs who are like the climate, climate crisis thing. You you know, you do the rainforest benefit and then you go play in in Russia for Russian oligarchs. (laughs) You know what he
0: would say? The Russians love their children, too. (laughs) <laughs> well, they if they should, they should stop poisoning the planet. That's a and song. I would also he say, sang I song. got it. I like
1: it. I like it. Um, What about playing parties at repressive regimes throughout the Middle East, which they all do, Mariah Carey, Elton John, and on and on. Every time I see this, even when they go do parties for like a, a rich gazillionaire in America who may not have anything that I find politically corrupt or objectionable, as you must if they're in Russia or Saudi Arabia or in other countries – like, I just think it's gross. Like you make all this money. Why the hell would Jennifer Lopez play some obnoxious kid's birthday party for a seven? F- like, really? You don't have oh, enough oh, money. They, they it, do it it's all just the bizarre. time. They do it all the time. I think it's like, I would never do that. Never in a thousand years. I cannot, especially when you have all that money. What the hell is the point of having all that money? If you can't say, I don't have to play parties and bar mitzvahs anymore. It just, it boggles my mind. Stay well, home and stream a movie.
0: Yeah, I think uh, a part of it has to do with the fact that, and and by the way, the one person who was ever honest about this, at least with me, was, uh, why am I forgetting his name now? Uh, (laughs) Shawshank Redemption, uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan, thank you. Wow, I had a senior moment there. He's he's a pop star. No, no, he said uh, when when asked oh, why he'll he, show up at events, yeah, uh, and certain movies because he said, look, you know, when you reach a certain level, y- you have, you know, I have a ranch. I've got to pay people. I've got I've got people on staff that now depend on me working to make their living. So I'll go and I'll do a movie, and this was for Kiss of the Kiss of like the spider, you know. All, The some spider movie he did was a, it was a a
1: potential launch of a series based on the Series of best-selling and acclaimed uh, thriller novels,
0: yes. Yeah, and that's kind of what he was saying. This is the reason I did it. I've got, you know, I've got people to pay. But there's, there's no moral qualms about that. True, yes. There's nothing wrong with saying a long plane, I want to
1: be the lead, and along came a spider, which might be my franchise, and give me a big payday, you know, movie after movie. There's no moral dilemma there. If I think he said, I may yes, have been I'll, hit on the uh, head.
0: I can't remember anything. I can't remember Morgan Freeman's name, moments after thinking of it. I can't remember the movie he was starring in. What happened to me? Maybe you were in the upside down.
1: Wh- is that what is it's called? That? Yeah. You Isn't know, that what? the upside down and Stranger Things?
0: Yeah. And, and you know, my kids have been binging this and they have hit some speed bumps. You know what the speed bumps are? Each what? episode is like an hour and a half long. And I wish I was yeah, kidding. Yeah.
1: They're, they're really not disciplined there. Yeah. That's like the J.K. Rowling effect. You get so successful, nobody can control you. And you're like, I want it to be 110 minutes. And they're like, okay.
0: Yeah, it's like <laughs> no you're making a movie for every episode. It's like, well, come on.
1: Yeah, it's exhausting. Well, there you go. We've got some streaming numbers. We have- By the way, did we numbers. even mention
0: the, the, the name of the, the show, Stranger Things?
1: Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay. Uh, uh, we, we, we have uh, streaming numbers for the week of May 2nd through May 8th, thanks to Nielsen and their website, which is great. Of course, that's a month ago. You know, that's, <laughs> uh, that's, So the numbers are quite delayed. And I was going to talk about some stuff like Moon Knight, doing really good and hitting 3.7 billion minutes total so far. In comparison, in the last seven weeks, Bridgerton has hit 9.7 billion minutes, but of course that's an established hit. Amazon had two shows in the top originals top 10 this week, uh, Outer Range in the Wild. So that's good. And in the movie list, every week I find this interesting. You'll see movies pop up onto the list randomly sometimes. And you think, well, the algorithm threw that one up. And once people started watching, everybody else piled on. In this case, we know what's going on. In the top 10 of the movies list this week is Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds. And no surprise, when I turned on Netflix a few days ago, boom, the original Top Gun was right at the top saying, play me, play me, which my brother probably did. But you can see, they're like, all right, Tom Cruise has a big movie out. We'll push the catalog and get people watching, you know, more Tom Cruise stuff. That makes sense. But also in the top 10 is Forrest Gump, which tells you two things. One. Life is like a box of chocolates. Yeah, library is valuable. It's great to have a big, deep library. You never know what's going to become popular that week. And two. There's still a lot of room to grow in movies, right? People are really watching series when they go streaming. There's not a ton of attention, even with the original movies they make. I think the real money I would spend would be on, on series because you can keep them longer, keep them watching. Even in the movie top 10 list, it's rarely got a lot of recent new stuff. It's all, you know, if, if Forrest Gump can pop onto the list for no reason, clearly there's not a lot happening there. I mean, Moana is on the list, you know, like four or five Disney movies, like 10, 15, 20 years old are always on the list. So, you know, that there's just not a lot of attention being paid to the movies, right?
0: Well, I think that there's a Forrest Gump in, I want to say South Korea, like there's a remake being done right now. And that trailer dropped Oh co- yes. Korean yeah, Korean <laughs> Forrest Gump, Ode to My Father. That's the name of it. And it's, it's but this pretty- is only North
1: American viewing. So I can't imagine that made a bump in North America, you know, smart TV streaming. However, that's all from a month ago. But the trades today are reporting on the debut of Stranger Things and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, those movies opened up on May 27th. So They're a series, like not days. movies
0: their series. Yep.
1: Thank you very much. That's 10 days ago when these, these two shows opened up. So they have coverage for the week of May 23rd through May 29th. That's just like, you know, that would be very timely information. Both did really well. Stranger Things grossed like 5.1 billion minutes. A lot of people binged on those episodes. And like Sperling said, they're really long. Obi-Wan Kenobi, however, had fewer episodes and they were like not, you know, feature length. So he only grossed about a billion minutes, but they both opened up very strongly. Five billion minutes watching Stranger Things. And that doesn't include the times that your kids spent streaming Cape Bushes running up that hill. So anyway, that's pretty cool. Only two other shows in history have hit 5 billion minutes in a week. Both did it during the national shutdowns during COVID. And those were Tiger King for one week and Ozark. So, okay. My question to Nielsen and to anybody out there is why in God's name do we have to wait a month to get the streaming numbers? Why can't we get the top 10 for everything? Right away. You know, this would be more timely numbers. And the more timely you are, the better you can promote your show. So everyone should be encouraging Nielsen. Get those numbers out there as quickly as possible for everything so the industry can support and promote and highlight all this stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I you know, Again, I, I have no idea why they wait so long. I think it's maybe, I had to go to the DMV recently and all I could think of at the Department of Motor Vehicles was that scene in in Zootopia with the sloth, uh, you know, uh, moving so slow. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I have to say uh, unfair because I,
1: I don't know what your DMV is like, but in New York and Alabama, they work like a charm. Very quick and efficient.
0: Yeah. You know, well, I, I guess uh, I, I only say that because maybe that's the sloths uh, left the DMV and now they're working for Nielsen and they're counting streaming numbers. <laughs> Whoa, I have nothing to say except it must be time for Big Deal or Big Whoop. That's the
1: anti segue, the anti segue, Sperling. You just do it. It's the hard stop. It is time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important nonsense or just overhyped. What's our first story? Oh, did you say overhyped nonsense? I messed it up. That's why you should oh. do it and not me. I oh. I stepped in and I blew it. And you know what? Our first story is so timely. It happened thirty-five years ago.
0: That's that's, that's true. In fact, uh, it makes me, after hearing about the Top Gun lawsuit, makes me want to sue someone because Mariah Carey's <laughs> "Transcendent Holiday" classic "All I Want for Christmas Is You" it came out in nineteen ninety-four. Michael, as you say, quite a while ago. It famously took Carey and her writing partner Walter. Oh my goodness. I, I, I don't Afanas, know. Yeah, ah. a, a lot. A F. A, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of A's, a lot of F's, and and one S. Uh. Anyway, it took them both get this 15 minutes to compose the basic song, both words and music. Well, maybe it only took them 15 minutes because they were ripping off some other song. Yeah, it's really yeah. easy when you're cribbing it. Yes. Some 28 years later, they're being sued for plagiarism. Songwriter <laughs> Andy Stone says that his song. And get this, All I Want for Christmas is You. That's the name of his song. <gasps> Sounds familiar. Somebody get a lawyer. That came out in 1989. It did okay for Vince Vance, which actually is Andy Stone, and the Valiants. And now Carrie needs to pay up. Big deal or big whoop um it's a big whoop of course 1989 that took a long time there are hundreds
1: of songs called all i want for christmas is you there are thousands of songs called my baby you cannot copyright a song title i could call a song running up that hill which we'll get to in a minute uh but that would be okay however when you get to the song are you ripping off the melody are you ripping off the lyrics i read in advance people said it has nothing to do with the song they're nothing alike. they're completely separate of course i went to watch the video we have a link in our show notes it's a very trippy 80s video. You really should watch it. This guy, Vince Vance, has crazy eraser head-like hair. I thought he was an elf or something at first in the video, but he's just him. And he works in a store or something, and, the, and there's a girl singing it. It's not him singing it. And uh, it's, it's crazy and weird and goofy and very, very dated and fun. But you know what? It is certainly similar. You know, that's not plagiaristic,
0: but the the, the 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 lyrics, the lyrics
1: lyrics are similar and the melody is similar. It's not that that, Mm. there's nothing pulled from it, but they're both quiet little songs and saying, hey, you know, I don't want gifts. I just want my baby back. It's a very generic sentiment. There's no way he's going to win this lawsuit unless I'm crazy. I'm sure they can afford to fight him off and never just pay him off because there's no grounds for this being similar is not, But you know what, when we lost that Blurred Lines lawsuit over Marvin Gaye, the, the Marvin Gaye estate won because it had the same vibe, which was crazy and one of the worst lawsuits ever. So maybe his lawyer said, Hey, if they won, maybe you can win. Cause it is certainly the same vibe as the Mariah Carey song though. Hers is uh, much, much better. It's one of the great songs of all time, but his videos fun. Check
0: it out. What's the most popular TV show right now, actually? Hmm. Well, you can forget about streaming. We don't have any numbers about what individual episodes of shows are racking up in terms of viewers, unless HBO or someone decides they want to share that info. And we told you how to do that earlier. Uh, So we're looking at Nielsen's numbers for broadcast and basic cable, which they actually do on a show by show basis. Shows have to air at least three episodes and the averages quoted are live plus seven. Okay, so it's not just the the night of broadcast and the most popular show, by the way, Michael, is drumroll, please. (gasps) Football actually is the most popular show, not the beautiful Uh. game, by the way, not that beautiful game, but American football on Sunday night. That's the most popular. By the way, the second most popular show is um, Mm -hmm. also football. It's football again. This time on Thursday night, though, not Sunday night. And the third most popular show. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Football, football.
0: uh, Actually, for the first time since The Walking Dead, it's a show on basic cable that attracts an average of 11 million viewers per episode. And that is Kevin Costner's Yellowstone. After that. Well, it's more football. Uh, Tom Selleck is doing great, though, on Blue Bloods, which remains in the top 10. But the reboot of Magnum P.I. was the most popular show to be canceled. The sitcom Ghosts is the most popular new comedy in ages, breaking into the top 20 and second only to young Sheldon. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? And this is, by the way, we should point out only for last the last season.
1: Right, right. We're not talking all time. Of course, yes. we're talking about the this, this season just ended. And these are the most popular shows that Nielsen can track over the air from basic cable and broadcast. So yeah, it's a big deal. It's great to be big. Sports is important. It can really pull people in. I'm not sure why they're basing it on live plus seven. It must be because that's where the ad dollars are but they could at least give us the numbers for what are the most popular shows live plus 30. Why not? They've got them. You know, they've got the demos and the live plus seven total viewers. All I care about is total viewers live plus 30. Give us the best number possible because then the shows can boast more. It's all about advertising and pushing the show. If you want people to advertise on your show, the biggest number you can give them is the best number to get. Uh, so, you know, there you go. But it's cool to see basic cable waking up again. Yellowstone's doing great. And, the jury's not on a Magnum PI. Apparently, NBC and somebody else might be rescuing that show from cancellation.
0: By the way, I can tell you why they give you live plus seven and because they're contractually obligated to because advertisers only pay for live plus seven seven they don't that pay that they for they have plus live,
1: live plus 30 numbers and they make them available sometimes they're simp- they're not contractually obligated not to share live plus 30 numbers those are just the only numbers advertisers will pay for i understand right. that yeah. but there's no reason why the networks couldn't say hey we're paying you first The advertisers don't pay them it's the networks as much as anyone and say we want a, the biggest number possible just like studios should promote the total week's box office not the last 3 days why ignore an extra 4 days the studios behind these TV shows should be pushing the biggest numbers possible. Believe me, they're way down, so you should be scrambling to include every eyeball you can.
0: Artist Kate Bush is a fan of the TV show Stranger Things. We've talked about it several times today. Or more precisely, her kids are fans of the show, so she knows the show well. When, it, when the show approached Kate Bush about using one of her songs in the series, she was intrigued. You know, Bush rarely approves such requests, and in this case, it was a request to use her biggest hit in the United States, the Top 40 single, Running Up That Hill, from the masterpiece Hounds of Love. Well, they weren't just slapping the song on some key scene. They were. It was going to play an integral role throughout the final season, charting one character's emotional journey to dramatic effect. So, Bush said yes. The song was artfully employed, and when the show dropped on Netflix, attention for the song soared. Shazam said the musical cue was one of the most sampled songs ever. That is when the song aired. Fans used Shazam, this is the app on your phone, to answer the question, hey, what song is that? What tune is that? I want to know. (laughs) Sales and streams of the song, soared. The song hit number two on the Apple Daily Hot 100 worldwide, not just in the U.S. Ooh. And in the U.S., it hit number three. Just in the U.S., streams Ooh. soared eight thousand percent. I don't know what that means <gasps> on on Spotify, and that's globally, according to Variety. Video plays soared fifteen thousand percent. Pandora announced Whoa. a two hundred thirty four point two percent increase in thumbs up for the song. <laughs> is this a big deal or a big whoop or a 4000% increase in nonsense? It is a 4000% increase in
1: nonsense. Those statistics are meaningless and stupid and they should not be reporting them. Variety should know better. A meaningless stat like uh, you know, an increase in 234% in thumbs up. Well, okay. That means yesterday it got 2 thumbs up and today it got 5. Right? That would be a 234% increase. So, that means, you
0: know, or, two to five or better is yet, yesterday it got zero and today it got 235. So, therefore, infinite, infinite increase in, yeah. in,
1: in thumbs up, right? From zero, right? It's, it's point. Why would Running Up That Hill, a classic song from a great album, one of my favorites, why would that be getting a lot of plays two weeks ago in the US? It wouldn't be necessarily. It's a perennial, but it's not a big commercial hit that gets played all the time on the radio. It ain't Stairway to Heaven or Your Song by Elton John. So all those numbers are stupid and nonsense. Now we have a real number to report. Just now, Billboard has reported that Kate Bush's song has leaped back into the top 10. It's number eight on the charts. That's a fact you can put your fingers on and touch and know what it means. It's a top 10 hit. Her first top 10 hit in North America. Previously, the song only went up to number 30, and that was the best for any Kate Bush song. It comes from the album Hounds of Love. Check out the entire album. Don't just say, Alexa, play some Kate Bush. No. Congratulations, Michael. You just
0: literally, everybody that was listening to this, their Alexas now went off. You're right. What I should have said is, Alexa,
1: play Hounds of Love. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, so that's great. I love Kate Bush. I've been going through her catalog, not because of this, just in the last six months to re-listen to everything and bumped up some albums that I really liked a lot, but now I like even more. What a great artist. Uh, She's so talented. And right now, the number one album in the country is Harry Styles, who's also back at number one with his single, As It Was. Uh, So his album is doing great. He's going to be in LA for four months, I think, playing Staples Center sprawling. So I assume
0: you'll go over to Harry's house uh you know i don't think he lives there so if he does oh, well, they're I, calling it harry's house they're uh, calling okay. it harry's house well maybe he can uh you know have someone uh fill in for him and if he does then he better watch out in case you know if he gets sick he might have to call an attempt and sometimes when you call an attempt they they get the job actually hmm. just like actor juan jackson he has been playing a member of the temptations on and off for a decade now. In 2012, he was an original cast member of Motown, the musical, on Broadway. It's pretty good, right? I mean, he played the founding member, Melvin Franklin. Then in 2017, Jackson played him in Ain't Too Proud, the Temptation musical. He's kind of making a career out of it. Uh, That lasted another four years. Now, Juwan Jackson will never have to pretend to be a member of the Temptations ever again. You know why? He's been invited to join the group in its latest incarnation. He's an actual
1: temptation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, life imitating art. And Jackson said, hey, my last name is Jackson, MJ, the musical, I'm just saying, I'm Jackson 5, here I come. Anyway, Jackson must be on cloud nine. But is this a big deal or a big one? Well, it's a big
1: whoop, of course, but it's very cool. By the way, he has 10 years under his belt playing a member of The Temptations. Melvin Franklin was a member for 34 years until his death in 1995. So Jackson has about 24 years to catch up.
0: Well, and I know it's time for Inside Baseball now. And Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. And before we get on to our topic For today, here's a little piece of inside baseball that relates back to the head of our program. You were talking about drive-in movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, on this day, June 6th, National Drive-In Movie Day here in the United States, the drive-in theater owners launched their new drive-in website. I don't think you can drive into the website but it's a website okay. that hosts – yeah, AuthenticDriveIns.com. The name of the trade group is United Drive-In Theater Owners Association or, as it's more commonly known, Udatoa is the name of the <laughs> – <laughs> but that – I thought I figured I'd throw that in. A d- that email just landed on my uh, – Oh, very cool. AuthenticDriveIns.com. There you go. Yeah. So you can find a drive-in near you. Very cool. But this week, uh, on during Inside Baseball, we're going to look at some of the social justice and political issues making life in Hollywood rather complicated for studios and exhibitors. Whether you're casting a film, choosing a director, or deciding what movies to screen in your theater, somebody somewhere is not going to like your choice. First up, the week's trial of the century, the defamation lawsuit between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Thank- That's right, this week's. This week's trial of the century. Yeah. Thank goodness
1: it's over, right?
0: Oh, my God. I mean, I look at this and I'm like, you know, you, you guys settle murder trials in like half an hour, okay? And this trial went on for six weeks? Seriously? <sighs> a lot of money at stake and a lot of, lot of big names. So, that, you
1: know, a lot of lawyers means a lot more time. Anyway, in the UK, of course, Johnny Depp lost a defamation lawsuit. A judge ruled a tabloid was perfectly within its rights when calling Johnny Depp a wife beater. In the U.S., Depp won a defamation lawsuit against his ex-wife, Amber Heard, a jury ruled that Heard was not within her rights to say she was a symbol of domestic abuse, even though in her opinion piece, she didn't cite Johnny Depp by name as the abuser. So the difference, maybe just the difference between a judge and a jury. So, yeah. you know, that's what, that's what many of the experts said. I saw some people saying the facts kind of support Johnny Depp. But the law supports Amber Heard. This was before the, uh, the, the verdict came out because it's so very, very hard to win a defamation lawsuit against somebody who is a public figure. For that person to say, oh, you defame me, the bar is very high for lots of very good reasons. But in this case, the jury ruled that they both defamed each other. Uh, They say that Depp was awarded $15 million and she got $2 million for a comment made by one of Depp's lawyers. Uh, He was then later fired after leaking info to the press. So basically, it was like an $8 million win for Johnny Depp, thanks to various technicalities. Undoubtedly, Amber Heard will appeal. Undoubtedly, I think she might very well win, especially if she can get it before a judge rather than a jury. But this case was pretty ugly, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, everybody expected the outcomes of those two cases, the one in the U.K., and the one in the U.S. to be the exact opposite of what, <laughs> yes. of what they, they thought. Well, he's going to win in the U.K., but of course, in the U.S., he's totally going to lose. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's why he did the U.K. one first, right? He, he thought, well, if I win in the U.K., I can go to the U.S. and it's going to buttress my case. In the end, he lost in the U.K., came to the U.S., and then people were like, uh, Johnny, you're probably going to lose this case. And now you're really probably going to lose it because you lost the U.K. case. Uh, it, it, that's not what happened. No, no, not at all. And the ugly
1: stuff is also, you know, Amber Heard, whatever you think of her receiving death threats, you know, from people online, which is horrifying. And Johnny Depp supporters cheering him on outside the courtroom. I mean, okay, you're a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, but when you hear the text and the audio of what he said to her, kind of think you would want to rethink, like, yeah, maybe I don't want to cheer him on whether you think you should win or lose in court. Sales of his fragrance, savage. There's a funny name, increasing dramatically during the trial. People said, yeah, I want to buy his perfume. Uh, And as far as I can tell, he never forcefully and repeatedly called on people not to attack her online saying, hey, that's not cool. Don't do that. Anyway, it was just ugly. As soon as the trial was over and he won, he, he and Jeff Beck announced they had a new album coming out. And so it's just really unusual. But at the very best, one could say they had a toxic relationship though experts say one will almost never find equal blame one partner's almost always the main abuser so and let's remember you know there is one possibility here that most experts refuse to accept as a possibility that Depp was right you hear the ugly stuff he said and you think well this guy's vile and he is you know the things you heard are vile nonetheless as far as abuse is concerned we did have a a, a cop contradict what Amber Heard said about, at least about one incident we did have Uh, johnny depp doing much better on the stand than amber heard whether it's because you believed him or you think he's a better actor but it's important to remember one in nine men experience severe violence from an intimate partner one in four men experience some form of physical violence from an intimate partner so you know joyce maynard had a good piece on oprahdaily.com she went in there being empathetic with amber heard and she left the trial thinking that you know It's important to listen, but it's also important to distinguish between true claims of partner violence and what look like defamatory allegations. I mean, I don't think anyone should watch this and go, oh, Amber Heard's lying. And, you know, but or he's great or he's terrible. But, you know, cheering either one on is is pretty vile. Like, there's lots of good cases for the Me Too movement, this wasn't one of them. Correct. This is not a case to worry about what this means in the future. Women should be listened to. Any person who is abused should be listened to and taken very seriously because people don't rush forward to make these claims 999 times out of 1,000, but it doesn't mean you automatically pillory them, especially when other people aren't coming forward to say, he did it to Me Too or she did it to Me Too. So an ugly case, but it does not mean, oh, the Me Too movement's over, nobody cares.
0: Well, yeah, I mean... I don't think this was good for either of them. My question is, does absolutely Johnny Absolutely not. Everybody wants it. Does Johnny Depp work again or is he just done?
1: Well, Mel Gibson is working again. Louis CK is working again. And I'll bet Carrie Fukunaga works again. Tell us about Kerry.
0: Well, he's the director of No Time to Die, the Bond film that he, you know, was just released last year. We did year. not want to spoil
1: the, we didn't want to spoil the ending of. That's right.
0: Yes. Uh he's a, a dr- director of uh, you know, uh television series yeah true detective uh he faces accusations of abusive power from a dozen people according to a rolling stone feature which detailed numerous people de- uh coming forward and explaining how Fuganaga, fukunaga the director would use his power to pursue young women on set women felt pressured to go out with him according to to these testimonies and worried saying no one was hurting it they they Saying no would hurt their career. Yeah, they they didn't want to turn him down. Several accounts of Of women pursued by him as soon as they turned 18, he was pursuing them. Uh, Right, and
1: separate from this article, there was a separate issue where three women separately detailed misconduct by Fukunaga. So it's a lot of people coming forward, men and women on sets, describing what he has done on sets and how it made them feel icky. Now, some women repeatedly saying, look... Like there's twins that he pursued and they were like, one of us would have been happy to date him, but all he wanted was a threesome and he was clearly manipulating us. And that's all he wanted. And ultimately we're like, ew, you know, like why would have dated him? I would have dated him. She would have dated him, but he didn't want that. All he wanted was this one thing. And then he would walk away and we weren't interested. Other people said, I dated him going to eyes wide open, but I left thinking, wow, what a creep. And I'm paraphrasing, whatever. Uh, none of this is about sexual assault or rape. But it is about abusing your power on set. Sperling, you have a business. Do you go around office and new young female interns saying, hey, want to go out and get coffee? You uh, know, pawing no. them, you know? No, of course not. So the rules are clear. Let's not say, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. You know what? You're the boss. You don't pressure people who work for you to, have to go out on dates with you. That's pretty clear.
0: You know, Louis C.K. knew what the rules were. And he even explained to the women that were in his <laughs> hotel room or dress rule room.
1: rule is, I unzip my pants and you smile.
0: Yeah, you know, and I'm going to do that. So if you don't want to stay, please feel free to leave. But I'm going to unzip my pants, which he admitted to. Uh, this is the comedian, right. Louis C.K. He's like, well, I, I told him I was going to unzip my pants and start playing with myself. Yes. And they Let's decided remember to this. Am- that's
1: right. He admitted to sexual misconduct with multiple women. People sometimes have the allegations it's like, no, there are no allegations allegations louis ck admits to sexual misconduct with multiple women pressuring them including female comics who rightly considered him a major force in stand-up to watch him masturbate he admitted it he walked away he went quiet and then he just basically came back and said that's over with right (laughs) what's the latest thing with louis
0: uh well uh, i guess he won a grammy For Best Comedy Album. Yes, yeah, that's right. He co-wrote and directed a movie about an alcoholic and jazz pianist who visits his family on the 4th of July. I think that was made many years ago, actually, and is only now being released. Uh, He has a small role in the film, which stars Joe List, the guy he co-wrote the screenplay with. Some of the screenings uh, are set, like one at the Beacon Theater, so he's going to try and release this film, uh, the but Beacon he's four walling the- it. That's a f- four walling it. He's yeah, renting yeah. the Beacon Theater and showing the movie. Yeah. In New York City. But CK would love to see it in movie theaters. So call your local cinema. He still has fans. And I would agree with that. He's selling out major venues on this latest tour. Yes. So he still so that's, has that's fans. The qu-
1: that's why we're talking about all this stuff. Do you cast Johnny Depp? Do you work with Kerry Fukunaga? And if so, what needs to change before you work with him or feel comfortable? Or maybe you just don't care because nobody has made a, a, a criminal allegation against him. Maybe workplace policies, but you know what? Every movie is a new business. And so there's no previous workplace you know, shenanigans to point to. So the question is, do you have any concerns? How do you raise them with him? And Louis C.K., if you're an exhibitor, maybe you got a drive in theater. Do you show the new Louis C.K. film? And how do you decide that? And what price will you pay if people get unhappy with you? Probably, right? You show the movie, people say, how dare you? And a month later, when a movie they want to see is playing there, they'll go to your theater. That's probably the real world impact of it. But do you care? Do you want to take a stand? Do you think it's important? And these are the issues people have to deal with every day. If you had a theater, Sperling, would you show the Louis C.K. film? Like you say, he's got a lot of fans and the movie isn't about, hey, it's cool to, you know, sexually harass women, I assume.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was actually very interesting that you should ask me that question, because this was a question that was brought up while I was in Cannes recently about specifically about Louis C.K., because the question was, when are you not canceled anymore? Like at what point have you paid Nobody a price? is
1: canceled. Nobody is canceled. That's the first thing you should say. Nobody's canceled. That's a BS made up idea. People sometimes say and do things that other people find ugly or they get arrested for criminal actions and they pay a price for it if the world is working the way it should work. But with Mel Gibson making movies and, you know... <laughs> You know, Louis C.K. selling out venues and winning a Grammy, nobody can pretend, oh, some horrible leftist group has canceled him. He ain't canceled, is he? The question is, do you want to work with someone? And what makes you willing to work with someone who's done something wrong in the past? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Have they made up for it? Have they? Th- if someone said I was an anti-Semite, guess what I would do? I would partner with Jewish groups to either learn or to show my support for the Jewish people and work really hard. If I said something racist or was accused of it, I would be very upset and do everything I could to work with the NAACP if they'd let me and any other group to show my solidarity with that community. So if I care, I'm going to do everything I can to rectify my image, to go into therapy, to learn from it, whatever. So if someone has done something you don't like, you look to see... Have they changed their ways or at least tried to? Have they made at least a sound of like, yeah, maybe that wasn't so good? <laughs> you know, has Louis C.K. done that? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, what he, about you?
0: he certainly went away for a while and he uh, certainly owned yeah, up to it. He wanted it right everyone away. to forget.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, he just hoped everyone would forget. He's like, yeah, that was embarrassing, but I've moved beyond that now, haven't you? So maybe you have. He won a Grammy. Now he's got a movie. Do you show it in your theater? Do you think you would pay a price for it if you did? I don't. I practically speaking don't think if your theater showed his movie that people would never go to your theater again. I don't think that would happen. Will I never go to Cinemark because the CEO is a a, a jerk politically and supports you know the overthrow of our government? Probably not. I'll probably forget that
0: and well, go next week like, to
1: see a movie at Cinemark.
0: It's kind of like the uh, the owner of Barilla Pasta, okay, who is kind of a known. Uh, anti-gay he's he's kind of a creepy guy The the owner of barilla pasta everybody knows this however when you're on the pasta aisle there's like really two pastas you can go with barilla pasta or you know the other brand uh i go with the other brand and i tend to go with the other brand because it just happens to be better uh but very often you look at barilla pasta and you're like hey you know what yeah it's cheaper it is much. So what cheaper. did you say? To, what did you
1: say to the people at Con? Uh,
0: you know, it is a. I I wasn't sure myself. When does somebody get to come back and start? When does when does Mario Batali get to start cooking again?
1: Should he? Is that your first question? What what was he found guilty of? If anything, didn't he go to trial and get cleared recently? Yes. Right. So you maybe you say, well, maybe he's fine, or maybe just the fact that something wasn't proven in court. So let's remember with Amber Heard and everyone, it's one thing to just f- decide in the court of public opinion hey, 20 women came forward, Bill Cosby's guilty. I don't need a trial. If it's one person versus another one, you want that person to be heard and perhaps get their day in court. Even if they're telling the truth, it's very hard to make these things stick in court. So just because somebody wasn't found guilty in court doesn't mean you've heard and read things that make you say, ew. I'm not really a fan of Mario Batali anymore. Ooh, wow, Johnny Depp. Wow, that's really ugly stuff. I don't really want to have that in my head when I see you in a movie. You know, I like Mel Gibson as an actor, but when I see him on screen now, all I think about is the stuff I've heard him say and do. And I'm like, ah, it's just not a person I enjoy watching on screen anymore. It took me years to listen to Michael Jackson's music again. But do you want to work with Mario Batali? I guess it depends on whether you found... He was completely exonerated and it was all BS or whether you go, ah, it wasn't such a big deal. Or maybe you go, yeah, no, not a big fan. You know, I mean, this is a forget canceled. If somebody does something you find vile, shouldn't that affect you wanting to work with them or celebrate their stuff? Yeah. Me personally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, do you want to book Louis CK's movie or you like, you like, look, the movie's on its own. It's not the guy. No, he hasn't really made amends. But if I watch the movie and go, wow, it's great.
0: It would you have know, to be great capable of make- that that's really yeah. it would have to be so good that you'd go, yeah, you know what? This movie deserves to be seen. Louis C.K. And would,
1: and would and would you be worried about paying a price? Because I don't think you would really pay a price, even if people uh, well, would be. Well, of angry course, that you'd you always be, you'd
0: be worried about. I mean, I think you would be worried about that.
1: Well, then that would make you choose not to. If you thought, I will suffer financially long-term by showing his movie, or 2,000 Mules, or whatever it might be, or some liberal movie that's not full of lies, uh, You know, then you would say, am I willing to pay this financial price to stand up for what I think is important, or do you just think, no, basically, and it's all going to come out in the wash and I'll be fine? Because I don't think people would boycott your theater forever because you showed a Louis C.K. film for a week or two.
0: I, I think I they'd don't. buy my pasta. I think they'd buy my pasta.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny. You were in Con answering these questions, and we have a letter from Khan, don't we? This is from James Gardner. Uh, he wrote in to us and said, Hello, guys. Interesting coverage of Khan, but one big topic has not yet been addressed. As a cinema owner looking at the future slate, there is much worry in the industry due to a collapse of films being released compared to pre-pandemic levels. In other words, not a lot of movies coming out. This is predominantly with independent films. However, even major studios... Are taking a large hit. He's talking about the number of movies being released. James continues I have covered this issue with tables and graphs in a newsletter for the Small Cinema Owners Association in Australia that can be found here. We have a link in our show notes. Con is a big market, he says, for independent films being sold to theatrical distributors and streamers. Sperling mentioned last year that streamers were buying up a lot more films. Is this still the case? Or can we expect the slate to fill out with a lot of these new films appearing at major festivals like Cannes? This is an important issue as content is the fuel that the theatrical industry runs on. If we have half as much fuel, we should expect a hit on profitability and viability. That is why many theatrical cinema owners are worried, regards James Gardner. So, Sperling, you were in Cannes. Yes. Were movies Were movies being bought up and were they being bought up just as art, as cinema, art house, you know, festival fair, or were they being bought up to be shown in theaters?
0: You know, in years past, there was lots of talk about, you know, there's the perennials, there's Focus, there's uh, Sony Picture Classics. It used to be there was Miramax and Weinstein. Uh, Obviously, there's no Weinstein or Miramax. Well, I guess Miramax still exists, but it's certainly not out there acquiring films. Uh, This year, unlike in, in years past, There was no discussion about Netflix or Amazon Prime coming in, swooping in and buying up all the content as there always is recently. At the Sundance Film Festival, which is the North American kind of independent film festival,
1: instead so they weren't big. They weren't big. They weren't big players at Con this year. There was no no big sale was made to no, uh, no, a streamer? no. There
0: was a little wheeling and dealing, but not not nearly at at the level. Whereas in past years, they would come in and they'd buy up you know three four big movies. That mm-hmm. is not the case this year. Uh, Neon picked up a number of films. You also had a twenty four either having picked up a number of films or uh, having already acquired them long before. They so, made them in the
1: first place. <laughs> yeah.
0: So showing up, for instance, the Kelly Riker film, A24 had, they bought it in January of 2021. MGM acquired North American rights to 3,000 years of longing, the George Miller film, back in 2020. Armageddon time, that too was a focus features uh, film. They actually bought that film. This is what the Cannes Marché du film, the canned film market does. Focus. Features acquired Armageddon Time in the virtual can market in 2020 for $15 million. So you had a lot of kind of uh, theatrical distributors, if you will, buying up films for theatrical distribution. Now, what that means is anybody's guess. Does that mean, that, yes, they've definitely released it on four movie th- in four movie theaters somewhere in North America and maybe somewhere in Europe? that remains to be seen that's that's really the, the question i mean how much so
1: you went you went to con a lot
0: of movies were bought and
1: whenever they do get released you know they were being bought for theatrical purposes the question is uh, do you have a sense for the rest of this year whether that that pace is picking up and we're going to, because when I look at the charts of what's coming out for the rest of the year, it does look a little sparse. It does look like, yeah, they're not a lot of them. There's certainly not the depth. There are big movies every few weeks, but there's not a lot of smaller movies as far as I can tell so far being listed. Maybe they'll make that decision later because they can be a little more nimble now. Can't they, when it comes to digital prints, does that allow movies to say, all right, we're going to get out there. Can they, can they be a little more, Timely? Can they wait a little bit longer before making that decision? Because in the old days, I assume it was more elaborate. Because you had to cut a print, you had to do this, you had yes. to do that. Can yeah? So they can make the. So it is possible if theatrical keeps picking up, and we're going to see a billion dollar. Uh, you think we're going to see a billion dollar June? Is that what you I,
0: think? Th- that's the with with Jurassic World coming out, and 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 the bulk of Top Gun Maverick coming at uh, you know in June. Yeah, you're you're talking about a, a very good June in North America. Uh, I guess the question is, and yes, you look at, that was kind of evident during CinemaCon as well. You looked at slate presentations from Warner Brothers and Disney. They had a lot of really great stuff in 2023, because of course, those were the two studios that were like, oh, well, no problem. We'll just release it on Disney Plus or on HBO Max. No problem. You know, so all of the movies, unlike Paramount and unlike Universal, who were holding movies, all of their movies came out in 2020 and 2021. So they actually you know don't have a a backlog of movies at, or not nearly the backlog that say Sony does uh, and Paramount was
1: really the savior this year or has been so far. They've been putting out movies and movies and movies and having success. Are you telling me that they're not they don't have their cupboard as bare when it comes to the end of this year and next year?
0: Uh, well Paramount was already bare. I mean that they were already, kind of like well we don't really have a lot of we don't we're not really making a lot of movies anymore so here's our three so the for one this studio year.
1: that yeah. the yeah. one studio that exhibitors could really depend on is kind of not going to be able to do it again next year
0: uh, well, I mean, they do have two uh, two Mission Impossible movies. So, you know, Paramount will get those. Uh, and Warner Brothers has a lot of 2023 movies. That was the, the big bulk of their presentation was all that's, 2023. That's seven months
1: away. That's seven months away. Right. What about the rest of this year while theaters are trying to stay alive?
0: Universal and Sony, when you looked at their slates, you were like, oh, you guys thought like maybe you should hold some movies for 2022. And guess what? Yeah, the floor is yours. Because there's, yeah. and, and actually Brian Robbins, uh, who was who is now the head of Paramount, he did say that, yeah, we'd like to make, you know, 12, 10, 12 movies a year. Uh, he's the head of Paramount. He said that during uh, a panel discussion at CinemaCon. And of course, there was a ru- kind of a, a ripple through the room because Paramount would usually make like 15 to 20 movies. twenty Yeah. Yeah. And so he realized, I think, almost immediately what he had done. And when you know <laughs> look, we can make fourteen good movies a year, and there are fourteen good movies out there, we'll make fourteen good movies. But they have to be good, and I'm, and we- that's that's why you make twenty movies you can find the fourteen good movies. If you could make just fourteen good movies, of course,
1: but you got to make twenty because six of them aren't going to be that good, right? That's why you make twenty movies, buddy. It's not because you're going to nobody can make 14 successful good movies unless you're Pixar back in the day.
0: The fear of course, before, you know, in 2020 and 2021 was that, no, the studios are going to make 20 movies every year. It's just that they're going to send 10 of them directly to streaming. So in essence, if you're a, you know, a movie theater operator, well, you just lost 10 films, 10 times five or six studios. You just lost 60 films. That's one film per week that you could be showing. Uh, yeah. and, now, I think there is definitely some thought about, OK, you might not have these films for the 90 days you want them for, but we will actually pause and put them in movie theaters because, heck, we realized, boy, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. And, you know, yeah we might break even in, on a theatrical run, but at least it get, gives it a bit of a higher profile than...
1: Well, and it makes you money. It makes you a lot of money. It's a $15 billion worldwide oh, yeah. market. So I'm saying, yeah, it's, you this know, is, yes. It's not like, oh, well, we'll break even. No, you'll make a ton of money and pay for every movie you made. And you want to talk How about, about, about burying
0: the lead here? We never, we didn't even talk about the fact that Warner Brothers changed, changed captains over the past week. That Toby yeah, Emmerich yeah, yeah. was kind of out. He was the the head of New Line and then Warner Brothers. He's been with that studio for like 30 years. He started in 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mike DeLuca and Pamela Abdi, who were running MGM, they were kind of uh, moved out when when Amazon took over MGM. So they moved out uh, of MGM. And everybody said, look, it's going to be Mike DeLuca and Pamela Abdi. Uh, David Zaslav is going to go after them and replace Toby Emmerich. Toby Emmerich did not have a chance uh, to work for David Zasloff. He, you know, David Zaslav took over less than a month ago or a month or two ago, and he's already out. So, I, well, yeah, obviously he had no intention of right. Yeah, yeah, it's not about him. He's just like I want my own people. Yeah, and so now he's got his own people. Uh, I think Toby Emmerich is a smart guy. People like him, uh, and you know, he's done quite well for thirty years. I'm place. sure he'll be
1: fine. Oh, he'll, sure he's going to be, be fine.
0: fine. Uh, so, but that said, and our, and our viewers. So James Gardner has reason
1: for concern. Certainly nothing is going to change in the next seven months. So maybe there'll be more stuff in 2023, but there's not a lot of independent movies flooding the the airwaves and you don't have any sign that that's changing anytime soon. Well, there were a lot of sales made this year, but who
0: knows what that means, but those those
1: aren't coming out for a year, you know, or six months, you know, they're not going to come out right away.
0: Yeah. And what I would say again is just because they were picked up, Just because they're being released theatrically doesn't mean they're going to be the answer for 40,000 screens in North America or 5,000 screens in Australia. So...
1: Right, but you need movies like After Sun and smaller movies to come out regularly because it gets people going to the movies. That's yes. You need that blood pumping through the system every week, and that's not what we're having. So we'll try and get better f- news for you next week, won't we, Sperling?
0: Yes, we will, uh, in fact. And uh, you know what? In the meantime, please do subscribe to our show so you don't miss next week's episode. You can subscribe in iTunes the Google Uh, You know what? As I'm saying this, as I'm speaking, I can see on Michael's face through our little uh, podcast platform. Something must have happened. I just know. I just looked at the running time. Oh, okay. Yes. We
1: were at 41 minutes,
0: but then then we've stretched out the end of the show. I thought for sure, like, I don't know, that the new head of the Academy was named or something. In any case, (laughs) you know what? When the new head of the Academy is named, you'll hear about it from us if you subscribe to our show, the Google Podcast Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can find us. Please do rate and review the podcast in any one of those podcast aggregators. It does help us out when you do. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us as well as ways to contact us. You can email us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail. We'll play it. On a future episode, the number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter, at ShowbizSandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sandbox. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, whoismgmt.com. Michael Giltz has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What have you got for us this week, Michael? This week, it's AuthenticDriveIns.com. Which actually is a website, and I can guarantee you, they do not have any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry on that particular website yet. However, if you want to read any of Michael's coverage, you can go to MichaelGilts.com. Some of my work can be found on CelluloidJunkie.com. Until next week, play nice.